your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for September 9th. I'm Terry Aranga with my guest, Dr. Nancy O'Hara. Dr. O'Hara is a board-certified pediatrician with a practice dedicated to the integrative and holistic care of children with neurodevelopmental disorders and autism spectrum disorder. She is the Assistant Medical Director for Defeat Autism Now Physician Training and Physician Mentoring Director for Defeat Autism Now in Europe. Before we begin, this show will have a lot of medical information, but this information is not provided as medical advice. Parents or patients should research all information given. Every person's physiology is unique, so all information provided should be discussed with the patient's personal physician who provides the patient with regular medical oversight, monitoring, and lab testing, and who keeps up to date on the most recent research and interventions beginning any significant biomedical intervention or making changes to an established regimen should be discussed with the patient's physician in advance. Dr. O'Hara, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Terry. First, I'd like to define for our listeners some fundamental terms and concepts. What is autism? Autism is, first of all, a, a label that is placed on our kids with multiple problems. The The symptoms that we see are behavioral, speech, and social. So these kids have perseverative behaviors, they have difficulties in communicating, um, and they have difficulties in the social graces of our lives. But in my opinion, autism is not just a neurologic or behavioral problem. It's a total body illness. And many of our kids also have problems with gut disease, um, with immune system dysregulation, um, either having allergies or um, immunodeficiencies, and with detoxification, the inability to get rid of all the things all of us are exposed to on a daily basis, those allergens, germs, toxins, and metals. So there, there's multiple definitions, but I think autism involves all of those. And as we talk about, it's a spectrum. There's no one child. Um, there's no one label for all the children. It's, it's really a very individual um, problem. Wow. That is a fabulous definition. Thank you so much for that. I really like how you use the word label, that autism is a label, and I really like how you referred to autism as a whole body condition in essence. Yep. What is the immune system and what does it have to do with the brain, cognition, thinking, and behavior? Yeah. The immune system is a part of our body that does a few things. One, it helps to fight infections. So it's our immune system that sets out little fighters to fight the colds and the ear infections and everything else. Um, many of our kids have immunodeficiencies. That means they're, or immunodysregulation. That means their immune systems are not working the way they should. 
If the immune system is deficient, then they may be more likely to get more ear infections, more sinus infections than typical kids. If the immune system is hyperstimulated, then they may be more likely to have um, problems with allergies, with increased reaction to things, to foods that are common in our environment, to environmental um, allergens like ragweed and pollen and, and animal dander. And what this does is, is many things, but um, the immune system and the neurologic system are very closely linked. If you look at babies, you know, fetuses, the immune system and the neurologic system come from the same cells. Uh, the, uh, they're, they're made from the same cells in the womb. Many of the neurotransmitters, the, the um, uh, proteins that we talk about, like adrenaline and serotonin and dopamine, are shared between these two systems. So it's very common for what to affect the immune system also affects the brain. And you can think of it very, in two very simple ways. One is when you get sick, um, you, you feel bad. You're, you're more lethargic. You're more, you know, you don't think as clearly. Um, you may have a headache. Um, and also some of our kids, and this is a small percentage, but some of our kids when they get sick, when they get a fever, they're actually better. They're more on. Um, they're, they're more with it cognitively. So that's the way you can see how the immune system and the neurologic system are connected. Well, thank you for that, that wonderful explanation. Now let's bring in the gastrointestinal system, its relationship to the immune system, yep. and how the health of the GI tract affects the brain, cognition, thinking, and behavior. Yeah. Well, first of all, everything we take in that's fuel for our brain has to come through our guts. That's the way we get our fuel. You know, we don't have our fuel tanks. Our guts are our fuel tanks. So whatever we take in to affect our whole body has to go through the gut. And if the gut isn't working right, then we're not going to absorb things the same way and we're not going to digest them right. And they're going to then either not be available to the brain, like good nutrients, good vitamins and minerals that we need may not be available because we're not absorbing right from our guts. Or we may absorb them inappropriately, like certain foods. Um, we, if, we, if our guts aren't working right, if they're swollen and inflamed, either because of infection, like repeated bacterial or viral or yeast or parasite infections, or if there's an underlying enzyme deficiency, we don't have the appropriate things to break down our foods, then our foods aren't going to be absorbed appropriately. And an example I, I often use is if you think of a food, like let's take one we talk about a lot, casein or milk. Um, and it's a very long protein. It's really hard to break down. And let's say you think of that as a very long chain of paper clips. Well, what the body should do is in the gut break that long chain of paper clips down into two tiny little paper clips. And that's called an amino acid. And the body should, the gut should absorb those, and the body sees those then as, oh, there's milk. Okay, I'm going to use that for fuel for my brain, and I'm going to go along my business, and everything's well with the world. But if our guts aren't working right because it's either inflamed and swollen or because we don't have the enzymes to appropriately break down that long paperclip chain, then it's going to be broken down only to a somewhat shorter but still long paperclip chain called a peptide, which is many amino acids. And the first thing is the body, the gut's not going to be able to digest or absorb that well. And the second thing is the, 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 it's not going to see it as milk. It's going to say, wait, this is something foreign. I shouldn't have this. And it's going to react against it. 
And so that's going to make the immune system that we were talking about hyper-stimulated. It's going to make it revved up. It may rev up our neurologic system and then cause stimming. Or in some of our kids, when it's absorbed in a certain way, it looks like an opiate. It looks like a drug, like heroin. And it may bind to those receptors in the brain looking like that and cause our kids to, to be more foggy, less with it, um, more, more um, cognitively delayed. Um, and some of these foods then can become like a drug and you can become addicted to them. I often also say kids crave that which they're most sensitive to. Um, so if your kid's craving a particular food, he may well be malabsorbing it, and it may well be causing a problem in, in his or her brain. So, so. do I have this right? Um, so there's inflammation and um, gut permeability, and that causes malabsorption, and that in turn causes more inflammation. Is this a vicious cycle, and, and have I got that all right? You do have that right, and it is one of the vicious cycles in our body. And the more inflammation, the more swelling, the less absorption, the more problems. How did that uh, gut inflammation and uh, gut permeability originate? Well, in some of our kids, it may have come from us and as moms. And I, I please don't anybody take this as, oh, this is something else i got to blame myself for. This is in the way of explanation, not... I should have done, should have, could have, would have. That's, that's not for today or for any day, in my opinion. Um, but some of us have more yeast, for instance, in our systems. And we as mom not only pass on our genes, we also pass on our germs. So some of our kids may have had a disordered gut to start with. They may have more bad germs than good germs to start with. Some of our other kids may have gotten it because they needed repeated antibiotics for all those ear infections. And those antibiotics not only kill the germs within the ear, but they also kill the good germs within the gut. And if we don't put in probiotics or good germs while we're, we're treating the bad germs, we're going to get uh, a dysbiosis, an increase in the abnormal germs. So those are the two most common ways. Um, a, a third way is that we may have other forms of inflammation going on, and this is still yet to be fully proven, but there may be other things that we get through um, vaccines, either live virus vaccines or the, the preservatives and additives we add to other vaccines, like mercury that used to be in vaccines that isn't there anymore except in the, the flu vaccine, um, or aluminum, which is still in many of our vaccines, or other pesticides, toxins, chemicals that are in our environment that our kids take in in our foods or in something they breathe in that then causes an abnormal response and inflammation within the gut. Now, I've got to think that, you know, moms had uh, genes and germs over the millennium and autism is an epidemic. As far as I understand, uh, it's not possible to have a genetic epidemic, so um, I, I kind of favor the, the second you know, explanation you're putting forth there. Do you have any comment on that? Well, I, I think it's a tipping point. Uh-huh. And I think what we're seeing is that all of these environmental things are affecting us epigenetically as well as our children. So we as moms are, you know, all these germs and toxins and stuff have been around, not to the extent they may be in our generation of children now, 
but they affect us too, and they affect what we're passing on. Um, but you're absolutely right. It may be that in a susceptible child, I mean, in my opinion, autism is a genetic and an environmental disease. So our kids are more susceptible. They're, they're predisposed genetically to be more sensitive to these environmental toxins, germs, allergens that they're then exposed to. I know that the metabolic system is involved in this susceptibility, so let's now define um, more terms. What are the metabolic and endocrine systems, and how are these involved in autism? Sure. Um, The metabolism is just how our body works, and um, one of the main um, ways that our kids in autism are, with autism are affected is in one of the metabolic systems that makes glutathione. And glutathione is what I call the mother load molecule of our body. It's, it's the one that has to multitask and do many things like our mothers all do. And it's about, um, glutathione is a fuel for the brain that can't be made except through this metabolism. It's also, um, the main detoxifier of our body. And when it's working right in this metabolic pathway, it sticks to all those things you want to get out of the body the metals, the, the chemicals, the toxins. When it's not working right, it, it's, it's oxidized or rusty, and it sticks to itself, basically, to another glutathione molecule, and it can't work effectively. And um, that's where I call our kids our canaries. Um, you know, uh, this metabolism isn't working right. So like we sent canaries into the coal mines where I grew up in West Virginia, um, the, if the canaries died, that meant the mine was too toxic. Well, our kids are our canaries, and the environment is too toxic for them. So the, the, the glutathione, what we know from research is that our kids have a 72% decrease in this glutathione because their metabolic pathway is not working well. And so they can't do what they need to do to detoxify their bodies. And more on the mother load molecule and glutathione when we come back to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Dr. Nancy O'Hara. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. 
If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Welcome back. We're speaking with Dr. Nancy O'Hara, who was giving us a wonderful explanation about glutathione, which she called the motherload mo- molecule. And Dr. O'Hara, you were talking about uh, and an analogy where it became rusty and stuck to itself. And I think that along the way you were alluding to oxidative stress. So let's talk uh, about oxidative stress. We hear a lot about that. We also hear about mitochondrial dysfunction. What are these, their indicators, and where do they fit in? Right. Oxidative stress is something that most, if not all, of our kids are under. And think about it just as, as stress on the body. The body feels stress just like you or I do. And our kids, um, because of their underlying metabolic problems, immune system problems, gut problems, their bodies are under stress. And that shows itself in the form of anxiety or stimming or shutting down. And uh, the main way that we can treat oxidative stress is increase the antioxidants. And glutathione is one of our main antioxidants. So how, and, and in addition to that, other antioxidants include the vitamins and minerals that I was alluding to before. Vitamins like vitamin C, um, appropriate doses of vitamin A, vitamin E. Um, and these things are important to make our metabolic pathways work better. Um, and glutathione itself or the precursors of glutathione are important. And so when we talk about, well, why, you know, why do you think vitamins and minerals work? I mean, why would I give my kid vitamins and minerals? He's eating, you know, he should be getting those in his diet. Well, our kids may need more. And the vitamins and minerals are the cofactors, the things that make these metabolic pathways work better and make the, the oxidative stress not as severe and make the, the oxidation or the rustiness not as, as, as severe. Um, and I always liken it to um, like a, a car. You know, most of us can run just fine on regular gasoline, um, but some cars need the high-octane stuff or they'll have a lot of knocks and pings. Well, our kids, because of their enzymatic problems, because of all the things we've been talking about, need the high-octane gasoline, need more of the vitamins and minerals to make their pathways work better. 
um, when you refer to the mitochondrial problems, um, we know that that four to five percent of of our kids on the autism spectrum, and this is from a a, a, um, a uh, research done in in Portugal as well as other uh, elsewhere, have true mitochondrial disease, and the mitochondria are the energy cells of our body, the cells that make all the organs of our body work, um, that that drive our engines so to speak. Well, 4% may have true disease where they have uh, an actual disease that by checking the muscle, doing a muscle biopsy, we can find uh, a, a, a genetic abnormality. But another at least 40% may be much higher, maybe as high as 70% of our kids have mitochondrial dysfunction where these energy cells are not working right. And, and they're all driven by the same thing, this stress that each of our pathways are under. And, and, and what we can do is, is actually look at some parameters within their blood tests that, that tell us whether a given child will have the mitochondrial dysfunction. That, that make these, these energy cells not work as well. And then if we find that, then we can give some of these things, sometimes amino acids, sometimes minerals, sometimes other supplements that may make our, our mitochondria work better and make our engines more, more functionally um, work. Dr. O'Hara, is it true or is it a misconception that if your gut is impaired, then no matter how many supplemental nutrients or good foods you throw at it, it's not going to absorb and get to your brain properly, help your brain properly. That's right. And that's why we say it all starts in the gut. And you've got to build the foundation before you can do anything else. It's like building a house. You, you know, if you don't have a good foundation, it doesn't matter how many pretty walls and windows you put up. It's not going to be sound. And so you have to get the gut to work as well as it can first, and that's diet, getting a healthy diet that's free of allergenic foods, that's free of foods that are difficult to absorb, that is individualized for your child, and then you need to put on there good vitamins and minerals, possibly a multivitamin mineral substance or supplement, Um, essential fatty acids, which are essential, a very good, again, antioxidant and anti-inflammatory, and probiotics, those good germs. I think those are the baseline, the foundation for all of our kids. So those would be your Tier 1 supplements? Your... That's right. Okay. That's right. And diet is, is paramount to all of that. So how does a parent or practitioner know which diet to use? Um, I think, you know, first of all, you need to to look at your individual child. If there's something your child is craving, then he or she may well be sensitive to it and remove it 100%. Most foods you're going to know after a week whether it's making a difference or not. Other foods you may need longer. For instance, casein needs to be removed for at least three weeks and gluten for at least three months before you, you know yay or nay if it's a factor in your child. And those foods do need to be removed 100%. If you remove them 99%, it's not enough. Because the immune system that sees that little bit of food being absorbed inappropriately is still going to react against it and still going to build up antibodies, immune system reactants against that food until you remove it 100%. There may be other diets that are appropriate for other kids. because There may be kids that are very sensitive to carbohydrates that crave sugars and sweets and carbs all the time. 
those kids may be may do well with a specific carbohydrate diet or a body ecology diet or a GAPS diet, which stands for gut and psychology syndrome. You know, there are lots of diets out there, and I think um, if you're not sure, it might behoove you to work with a dietitian or nutritionist or another mom that's been through it and really knows, um, uh, you know, the ins and outs of these diets. I know that for gluten-free, casein-free diet, some people are also wary of things like soy and corn. That's right. Um, the soy, 50% of kids, and this has been shown by the Academy of Allergy and Immunology, um, 50% of kids that are sensitive to milk may also be sensitive to soy. So especially when you're doing a trial, you want to remove soy as well as milk. You don't want to replace all your milk with soy. Also, soy has its own issues. I mean, soy itself, soybeans is very good, but there's some um, concerns about its effect on estrogen and the adrenal and metabolic system in, in, in all the forms that we give soy today. So you don't want to replace milk with soy. Corn, many of our children are also sensitive to, and it's something that we need to look at because there are a lot of artificial corns in our diets, particularly corn syrup and high-fructose corn syrup that are um, artificial ingredients that many of our children should do without. There is some disagreement that I've seen, for example, on the listservs about the usefulness of food allergy testing. What do you think about this? Um, Well, there are several different types of food allergy uh, testing. First of all, there's IgE testing. Um, That's your RAST testing, and that's what most allergists test. And that looks to see if your child has any acute hypersensitivity reactions, reactions that happen right away. That's the kid that gets hives or maybe wheezes with a particular food. That's the kid that has a very severe peanut allergy. Those are different than the IgG sensitivities, which are the chronic long-term sensitivities. And those show you more when I say kids crave that which they're most sensitive to. Those give you an indication of what your child may be sensitive to and what when the gut isn't functioning the way it should, the way it may not be absorbing these foods appropriately. So this may not be something that's an allergy for life, but something while the gut is not working well, your child is not absorbing appropriately and may behoove you to remove for a period of time while you otherwise work on healing the gut. But it's a, it's a guide. It's not the be-all, end-all. I always say our kids are our N of one. What's most important is how your child acts or reacts to a particular medication, supplement, or food, and that helps you to decide whether you need to remove it or not. Good point. Now, I know that um, there are times when people have gotten these food allergy panel results and then uh, stocked up on other foods that didn't show up as uh, suspect allergens. And what happens if you then just keep giving one or two or three new foods? Yeah, if if your gut isn't healed, you're going to become sensitive to those. And so when I look at diet, the first thing is it needs to be as fresh, unprocessed, unrefined, organic as possible. Um, whole foods, the, the things that we as, as mammals were, were meant to eat. It needs to be varied and rotational as possible. 
and and I know how hard this is. Believe me, I've done all this myself, and it's easy for me to talk about it, and it's hard to do. You know, when I was doing these diets, there were many times I almost gave up. Um, but as much as possible, varying it. You know, when I, um, w- you know, one of the things I do, for instance, is that when I get nut butters, when I go to the store, I may not be able to remember, did I do almond nut butter yesterday or cashew nut butter? But when I go to the store, one week I'll buy cashew butter and the next week I'll buy almond butter. Um, the same with grains. You know, one week I may buy, you know, one type of grain and the next week another type, trying to rotate as much as possible. Um, keeping out those allergenic foods and rotating the foods that you put back in, avoiding what are called excitotoxins like caffeine and MSG and dyes and salicylates, Um, avoiding phenolics if you think your child is sensitive to those like grapes and strawberries, And, and putting in as much good foods, good fats, raw foods, fermented foods like kefir or kombucha, um, protein, especially early in the day, those things are what's most important to do in every child's diet, in, in my opinion. Now, you've, you've done very well addressing food allergens. What about, do, do we need to be concerned about where we live, what we're putting in our homes and the area surrounding our homes? Oh, I guess we'll talk about this when we come right back to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Nancy O'Hara. We've been uh, going through the three R's, remove, replenish, and repair, restore. And so far we've been talking about what to remove. We've discussed food allergens, and now we're going to talk about environmental allergens. Dr. O'Hara? Yep. Um, I, thanks for the three R's. That That is something we often talk about and very important. I think... Um, you know, the RAS testing that we were talking about before, the IgE testing, is very good for environmental allergens, that dander, um, ragweed, pollen. So you can use that to see if your child has any allergies to environmental issues. But the environment is not just about the allergies. It's also about all the toxins and chemicals and pesticides. And number one, um, you need to avoid as much as possible. Um, I have a beautiful green grass that has never had a pesticide on it. And if you look closely, there's a lot of crabgrass, but it's still beautiful and green. So I think the more we can avoid the pesticides in our homes and our environments and our schools, um, the better. There are many, many excellent websites out there that talk about this information. information. Um, One that I like is checknet.org. Um, C-H-E-C-N-E-T dot org. Um, they have a lot of information about natural cleaning products, not using pesticides. Um, and I live in a very endemic area for things like ticks, Lyme disease, but um, I don't spray for ticks and uh, I do a lot of natural things to try to keep them at bay. And, and getting that information and doing those things as naturally as possible is important. The second thing is testing your environment, whether it be through a home health inspector, through your public health department, to make sure that that your environment does not have any more of the metals like lead that can does not decay and can be in our soil, can be in our water. I had a mom find it in her bathtub um, last week. Uh, I had another family that uh, it wasn't anywhere except on one windowsill that was chipping a little bit. It just so happened that that windowsill happened to be over the toy box. Um, so looking for lead, looking for arsenic, looking for uranium in our areas, but different metals. Um, and then uh, keeping the chemicals out too, and that's why eating organic is important. Um, and looking at what we use in our environment, um, in our schools and in our homes, and keeping those out as much as possible. I also have a friend whose daughter was poisoned by a lead vest that was supposed to be a therapy vest. Yeah. And I, I don't want to alarm people about all of the therapy vests out there. If you want any further information on where this one came from, uh, you can email me at taranga at autismone.org, but uh, the company was also sending out lead blankets. So uh, something to be aware of. Um, yeah. Now, you brought up Lyme and having ticks in your area, and let's discuss uh, viruses. Uh, how do you diagnose and get rid of viruses such as herpes or measles, and what do you think the role of Lyme or mycoplasma infection is in autism? Well, again, as I mentioned earlier, our kids have dysregulated immune system. So um, the 
that is going to make them more susceptible to um, and more predisposed to being affected by some of these diseases, infections that you're talking about. Um, I think that as far as diagnosing, um, somebody once asked me, what are the most important markers for that you use, you know, tests? that you use to help diagnose a child. And my top 10 are history and physical exam. That is what's most important. If you have a history of a child with um, multiple viral infections over the course of their life, um, a, a physical exam where a child has viral warts or molluscum, then that's a child that may well have a, a high level of a viral load in their system. A child that had a markedly um, abnormal response um, immediately following a live virus vaccine is another. Um, the, uh, you can get blood tests that look at viral titers. However, that only shows you what you've been exposed to. You cannot use those titers, those blood test results, to then look forward. Well, if I treat this, this number is going to come down. That's not going to happen. Um, these are chronic titers that may be always elevated, but it, it, it may give you an, an idea, a window into that child's immune system when you look at the immunocompetence of, of that particular child. The same goes, in my opinion, for Lyme disease. There isn't a great test for Lyme disease. There are some labs that are much better than others, um, and, and we certainly recommend using the best labs, but it's really about the child's exposure the child's um, uh, onset of illness or changes in behavior after that exposure. That's also true of strep. That's also true of mycoplasma. We have several families now whose fathers have gone to um, the Gulf, uh, who have been in Iraq, who have come back with mycoplasma diseases, and the whole family um, is now infected with mycoplasma, and that's something that we need to look at treating as best we can. In each of these cases, though, in my opinion, the most important thing is supporting the immune system um, and giving uh, 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 herbs, um, enzymes, uh, and uh, natural agents that may help to support the immune system and break down um, these, these, uh, these germs. What do you, what's your opinion of IVIG? Uh, we uh, spoke with a mom recently on this program whose daughter benefited wonderfully. She's Actually, she's recovered from IVIG. Um, IVIG is intravenous gamma globulin, and there are children that do do remarkably well with IVIG. Um, it's not for everybody, again. Um, I think there are a subset of kids, kids with true immunodeficiencies, and kids with PANDAS, which stands for pediatric... Um, autoimmune neurologic disorder associated with strep. So kids that have um, that particular problem or true immunodeficiencies are the kids that are going to have the best responses to IVIG. Those are also the kids that and families that are fortunately going to get their insurance to, to cover it um, because it's a very, very expensive um, undertaking. Mm -hmm. So I think that there are subgroups of kids within the autism population that may well benefit. You've mentioned strep, so let's move on to the kinds of germs and toxins like strep and clostridia you find, what a parent would see, and the biofilm uh, protocol that we've been hearing about. Okay. Um, I think there are 
four different categories of germs. Viruses, which we've talked about, yeast, which we talked about a little bit with regard to, you know, diet, we we'll, can talk about more, bacteria, which includes clostridia, and parasites. Um, each of these uh, may present with, with symptoms. For instance, um, bacteria like strep may present with uh, an anal ring or a very red tongue, an, a red ring around the anus when I say an anal ring, um, or a, a red um, sort of strawberry tongue. Um, those children may also have a new onset of aggression, of agitation, of um, uh, tantrums that just come out of the blue. Those kids may have strep. Kids that have um, uh, parasites, for instance, or some kids that have um, uh, clostridia um, uh, may well have problems with bizarre behavior, insatiable appetites. Um, itching at their anus, smearing their feces, uh, anal probing, grinding their teeth, um, picking and biting at things. Um, those are kids that may well have parasites. The kids that we see with, with excess of yeast or fungus may be kids that are spacey, that are moody, that go from zero to 60. Uh, you know what I mean by that, like where they, they're fine one minute and then the next minute they're crying and there's no reason. Um, or they're, they're angry um, for no reason. Those are the kids that may crave sugars and carbs. They may have inappropriate laughter, laugh or, laughing or crying out of the blue um, for, for no reason. Um, and uh, the other thing I didn't mention about the strep, which can also be true of, of Lyme, is uh, OCD behaviors, an increase or beginnings of obsessive-compulsive behaviors that weren't there before. Well, gee, Dr. O'Hara, what if a child has most of that? How do you figure it out? <laughs> well, then I think they require um, a look, and, and that can be a look on a stool test. It can be a look on a urine metabolic test and try to figure out which one it is. Um, and it also, I think, you know, a, a good clinician can look at the child's body and if they see some of these findings, the warts or the molluscum or the anal ring or the um, red cheeks and ears we sometimes see with yeast or, or the yeast infections on the skin, the yeast rashes, then, then that gives you a clue on where to start. Um, and, uh, you know, it may be that, that many of them do need to be, many of these germs do need to be treated. If the gut's not functioning well, you may have an overgrowth of many, not just one of these different germs. Mm -hmm. Now, I've heard, too, um, with regard to stool testing, uh, like uh, Clostridia is an anaerobic bacteria, so there's some concern about stool testing there. And also with parasites, I've heard there's a right and wrong time to do it. Have you heard any of this? Well, first of all, I think, you know, one of the things you're getting at is these things are very hard to grow. And there is a stool test now that can look at the, the DNA, uh, a DNA probe, sort of the genes of the germs mm -hmm. to try to find them that may well be more, um, more accurate and facilitate the, the finding of them. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, it can be very hard to find them. And, and one of the other things was what you mentioned earlier was the whole biofilm discussion. And it is um, uh, uh, theorized. Um, well, first of all, it is true that all of our bodies have biofilm, and biofilm is the protective mucus layer that coats our guts. Um, and that's a good thing. But it is theorized that in many chronic infections, um, a biofilm complex 
um, made up of mucus and calcium and, and, and several other things may be harboring some of these germs mm-hmm. in our lungs, in our sinuses, in prosthetic um, devices where we have chronic infections that are hard to treat, and possibly also in our guts. And so it may make our, our germs hard to find and also hard to treat. Right. And in our kids with resistant or persistent um, germs, it may be that breaking down these biofilm complexes may be helpful. And, and I, I keep saying may because um, it's something that I think has yet to be proven. It has a lot of good um, theory behind it and a lot of good ideas. And I think with many of these things, we need the real research to show us, is this something that's going to be a factor for enough kids uh, to make it worthwhile? Absolutely. A good direction for research. And we'll be back. We want to thank our sponsor, Enzymedica, and we'll be back in a minute. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Jack Lane.com presents Jack Lane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Each week, Jack is joined by Elaine Lane and his nephew, bodybuilder, kinesiologist, and personal trainer, Chris Lane, to answer your questions and help you overcome your fitness roadblocks. That's three times the diet and fitness know-how. Three times the entertainment. Tune in every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to Jack Lane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Hypnosis, what a completely misunderstood word. There are all kinds of myths and superstitions surrounding the concept of hypnosis. The truth is that it can be used safely in practices of health and wellness. Join consulting hypnotist Jennifer Van Wee for the program Hypnosis for Positive Life Changes and learn how to experience relaxation to enhance your ability to cope with stress and other complicated issues. Hypnosis for Positive Life Changes airs Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Well, we are continuing our discussion with the wonderfully informative Dr. Nancy O'Hara. And I just want to let everybody know that Dr. O'Hara's website is www.dr 
O-H-A-R-A.com. We were talking about some persistent bugs before the break, and Dr. O'Hara, you know, we hear about overuse of antibiotics with itty-bitty babies not being such a good idea, but then now we're using things like minocycline and vancomycin after the fact, and what's up with that? Well, I think, first of all, there are a very small percentage, probably less than 5% of our kids with autism who respond favorably to antibiotics in the, the first few years of life. And I don't mean that the antibiotics treat or don't treat the germs. I mean favorably from a cognitive sense. They're more on. They're more with it um, when they're on antibiotics. And that gives us a clue that those kids may well have abnormal levels of strep or clostridia or some other bacterial germ within their guts that need to be treated. If that's the case, then using something orally, um, you know, by mouth, that is, is very specific to those germs can be helpful. Um, I'd like to say two things with regard to that. Number one, if your child ever needs an antibiotic for any reason, they should also be on a probiotic. And if they're already on a probiotic when you add an antibiotic, you should double the dose of the probiotic. And um, so when we use things like vancomycin or, or metronidazole, we're trying to, to go specifically at the germ that may be in the gut, but we're also trying to use the probiotic to keep the other germs in the good germs and good levels so that we don't let the, the other germs like yeast or, or uh, uh, bad bacteria proliferate at those times. And what's the timing of probiotics vis-a-vis antibiotics? They cannot be given at the same time. They need to be given at different times of day. The probiotics, for the most part, unless you're putting in something that's called a prebiotic that potentiates the probiotic, probiotics need to be given by themselves. Um, and there's different theories on when and everything, but with less food as possible, you know, maybe with a little bit of applesauce or something like that on an otherwise empty stomach. Um, and the good probiotics have many, many billion units and need to be refrigerated. So that chewable that's on the counter that has a couple million isn't enough. Tell us about yeast, uh, the diagnosis, die-off, antifungals. Okay. Um, uh, I think uh, uh, in our kids that have yeast, um, treating it is important. And when you treat it, there can be the bad before the good, the negative reaction before the positive reaction. Because think about it, yeast that are living in our guts are love and life. They love that warm, moist environment that our guts provide. And now you're throwing in something, whether it be an herb or a medicine, that's trying to kill them and they're fighting back. So initially there may be a little bit of a war going on within the belly, and there may be changes in stool, either diarrhea or constipation. There may be irritability. There may be an increase in the stimming or the moodiness, and that's, a, that's die-off. That's as the yeast are dying, they don't want to die, and so there are reactions that, that come from the metabolites, the, the, the breakdown products, the toxins that are let off as they're being killed. Um, there are things you can do, and um, Mehmet Oz, who wrote, you know, the, he's Oprah's doctor these days, and uh, he wrote the book, You, the Owner's Manual. In there, he, he was asked if there's any magic pill, and he said, well, if there is, it's, it's charcoal. And, and charcoal is a good antidote. It helps to mop up toxins. And if you ever get a bad reaction to, like, an antifungal medicine that you're using, charcoal will help to absorb that and get it out of your system faster. It's what we use in emergency rooms when people have an overdose. 
Um, and it also needs to be taken away from anything else. It, it will absorb anything you're taking with it. Um, but uh, I think yeast, like these other germs, are very important to treat. Um, and the biggest mistake we made it, make is not treating them long enough and not treating them hard enough, uh, meaning not a, a high enough dose of whether it be the herbs or the medication. And then once we have treated them and gotten rid of them, keeping a natural agent on board that helps to, to quote-unquote, keep them at bay, keep them from coming back. Because yeast is ubiquitous. It's on all our skin. It's in all our guts. And unless we, we heal our guts and, and heal that milieu, that environment of our gut, it's just going to come right back. How do you figure out and safely lower the toxic burden? Um, I, I think that, first of all, um, glutathione is a key to that. And anything that helps to increase glutathione will help to decrease your toxic burden. Um, as I said, our kids have a 72% decrease. Someday I'd like to have a really good test that's commercially available for glutathione. Right now there's a lot of inaccuracies in the testing. So I think if you can can give your child glutathione, and there are several ways to give it, um, orally, transdermally, um, inhaled, and, and most notably IV, and see a positive response, then that tells you right there that your child needs it. And in any way, you can stimulate that pathway through N-acetylcysteine, methyl B12, um, zinc, B6, magnesium, um, some form of folate, TMG or DMG to help increase glutathione will help you to decrease your toxic burden. The second is to decrease exposure, as we talked about before. And the third is if your child truly has an elevated level of a particular um, metal, then you may want to consider with a qualified practitioner, not on your own, you may want to consider getting rid of that metal through detoxification and perhaps through chelation. That's a good point. Um, what kind of detoxification protocols are out there and what kind of regular medical monitoring must be done? Yeah, I think there are a lot of, of, of uh, natural agents out there and none have yet been proven. Uh, the research is still very minimal and I think we have to be careful of the, the placebo effect, which is a true effect. Because anything we put our heart and soul into, we may think is working, and it may well be, but we need to make sure we're doing it safely, too. And if you're using anything that, that detoxifies, you may also be depleting the body of appropriate minerals, and you may also be affecting the liver and the kidneys. So I think when you're doing any of these things, you need to monitor that on a at least bi-monthly basis, you know, every other month basis, um, uh, liver and kidney function and mineral levels, um, particularly when you're using um, medications, uh, either chelation medications or antifungal or antimicrobial medications on an ongoing basis. Yes, we want to move... Uh, the children forward, recover children as children are recovering, losing their diagnosis, but do this safely with due diligence and doing our homework and research. Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to be having you back uh, in a couple of weeks, I hope, to talk about the aspects of replenishing, uh, restoring, repairing, and some success stories with targeted treatment that you've seen. But in the time remaining, let's just um, talk about a few other issues uh, before that. How do we address ammonia and glutamate? 
Um, well, number one, ammonia can be elevated for several reasons. One, you have too much protein in your diet. Two, you have too much germs, and, and some of the byproducts may be um, increasing ammonia. Um, or three, you may have a mitochondrial dysfunction. And so you have to first figure out which of those is going on in your child, maybe more than one, and address that issue. Um, and there are many ways you can also decrease ammonia itself, but you need to look at those three underlying issues. Um, and then your other one was glutamate. Glutamate. Uh, there, glutamate. There are anti-glutamates uh, that that we can take, and glutamate is an excitotoxin. It's something that that increases the the. Uh, excitement, you know, the stimulation of our systems and things that can decrease that um, are are very important. And that does include things um, like uh, glutathione. It also includes anti-glutamates like GABA, um, like uh, uh, taurine, like other anti-inflammatories, um, uh, like um, uh, natural agents. Uh, like pycnogenol, uh, chamomile, um, to try to decrease that excitation. Um, and uh, uh, those are things we use in, in that way. All right. Well, Dr. O'Hara, what is, we're going to talk to you again, but what is the take-home message that you'd like to leave parents with today? Um, look at your child as an individual. What is it my child needs to get that he or she may not be getting or get rid of that he or she may not um, may have too much of to help him or her reach their fullest potential. And while you're doing that, remember that each of our children are a gift. There may be lots of wrapping paper on that gift that doesn't let us see the true core of the gift. But what we're trying to do is unwrap that wrapping paper again and again to get at the true gift, but don't let a day go by that we don't see the each of our children as they are, as the gifts that they that they are every day. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And again, Dr. O'Hara's website is www.dr.ohara.com. Uh, we hope to have Dr. O'Hara back uh, a couple of weeks from now. Dr. O'Hara, I want to thank you for sharing your wealth of information uh, and experience with us today. And thank you, Terry, and thanks for all you're doing. Oh, you're quite welcome. And, and again, through Defeat Autism Now, you've trained many more doctors to help the children move forward on the road of recovery. The Defeat Autism Now conference is coming up in October. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. And next week, September 16th, my guests will be officers from the National Autism Association, Wendy Fournier, Rita Schreffler, Lori McElwain, and Ann Brasher. For any questions, please email me at tiaranga at autismone.org. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enzymedica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.